Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us about the shift in Eve's focus with the birth of her new son, Seth, after the death of Abel. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's some highlights from yesterday's message. And Adam and Eve just watched in horror as they saw their son, Cain, not repent and cry out to God in mercy. The line of Cain. It is a line that is without God. That the godly seed is his church. And his church is the body of all believers. Now here's Tom Cantor as we continue in our Tuesday Genesis teaching series. So when Adam and Eve turned their eyes away from their chazon that vanished, their vision of Cain as the man God's Savior, when they turned their eyes away and they forgot about their son Abel who had been killed, and they turned their eyes to God and focused on him, then came the new vision. Then came the new hope. Then came the birth of Seth. And Adam and Eve did exactly what Paul did in the past when he was speaking about his life. And he said in Philippians 3.13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, he says, he says, here's a life pattern for me, forgetting those things which are behind. But Abel was killed, forgetting those things which are behind. But the line of Cain is prospering and they're just, they're seeming to have, they're the ones filling the earth without God, forgetting those things which are behind. And reaching forth, Paul said, stretching out and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Now there's a big, big difference in what Eve said at the birth of Cain in verse 1, and what she said at the birth of Seth in verse 25. Very important. In verse 1, Eve said, I have gotten a man, God. I've gotten a man who is God. Eve was so consumed with her own personal needs that what was all important to her was what she could get. I got this man. It's all about Eve and Adam's problem. But in verse 25, there's really a new emphasis Because the new emphasis with Eve, there's a change that's happened here, is that now it's not what I got, but it's what God has appointed. It's what God is doing. It's no longer what I got. It's now what God is doing. And that's the important thing. She was all consumed before with what her needs were, just like us. How do we pray? Like God doesn't know. God, I need, 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 need. You know, and Eve was like us when we pray, I need all. But God knows what we need. He already knows that. We don't have to inform him. It's in fact, he said in Isaiah 65, 24, before they call, I will answer. And while they're yet speaking, I will hear. So you could say, God, you haven't let me finish yet. <laughs> You're answering already? Why? Because in Psalm 103, 14, it says he knows our frame. And he remembers that we are dust. So there's a shift in what I got to what God is doing. And it's very significant because she came to realize the best solution for her problems was not to immerse herself in her own needs, but was to immerse herself in God and what he was doing. That freed Eve to be able to say, I love God because of what he does. Not because of what he does for me, but of what he does. You know, that was a trial of Abraham. 
when the trial of Abraham in Genesis 22.1 was really the question, did he transfer over to this? Did he transform to this level? And that's why it says in Genesis 22.1, it came to pass after these things that God did tempt or test Abraham. And he said, behold, here I am. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son whom thou lovest, and get thee unto the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains that I will tell thee of. You'd think that Abraham would say, it's so nonchalant for you, you can't even tell us which mountain it is. Anyway, but Abraham's lifting up the knife to sacrifice his son Isaac. And he's saying to God, as he's lifting up this knife, he says, I love you more than my son. I love you more than the son, the only son whom I love. And in that trial, because he did that, the Lord Jesus Christ was really asking Abraham the same thing he asked Peter in John 21, 15, The Lord Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Abraham, lovest thou me more than Isaac, who's on that altar before you? That's the question. The question was not, who do you love? The question was, who do you love more? And that was the test. And so after Abraham passed the test, God told him in Genesis twenty-two sixteen. 16, he said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, that because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, God emphasized, that in blessing I will bless thee. That's such a beautiful picture. It's like God saying, when I'm in the practice of blessing you, I'll step out of myself and bless you. I'll really bless you. (laughs) And in multiplying, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of thy enemies. And in thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. And you could say, because thou loved me more than Isaac. And that teaches us a principle that whatever we give to God, he will return to us with interest, great interest. Because Abraham was willing to give to God his only son. Therefore, God returned to Abraham, not only his son Isaac, but great interest when he said, your children are going to be like the sand of the sea and the stars of the air. That's wonderful. That's a principle with God. That whatever you give to God, whatever we give to God, he will give back to us with much more of the same that we gave. Much more of the same. But whatever you withhold from God, King Solomon put it this way in Proverbs eleven twenty four: There is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but attendeth to poverty. So the only way that we can make ourselves willing to not withhold, because this is the question, so how do you do this from God, is to immerse ourselves in the goodness of God. To convince ourselves God is good. God is very, very good. Then we'll be able to go to the point where Job did, to rise to this level where Job said in Job 13, 15, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And what did Job mean by that? He meant that when he found God, he found that this was a God of great goodness. This was a God to love because of his goodness, and this was a God to trust, even if he kills me, 
Job saying, I'm so convinced that he's so good. I'm so convinced of Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good to them that love God. I'm so convinced that if he kills me, it's better. It's better because God's good. That's what he meant. Well, this shift happened to Eve, and she became more concerned and more focused on what God was doing over how it affected her. So in the verse 25, she says, appointed. God has appointed. It means to establish. It means to set. It means to put. It's the same root word. It's the same word as the word Seth. That's what she names her son, Seth. After that issue, after that point, it's the same word. It means to set or to put. And to see this transition in Eve, just pretend that we had all three sons of Adam and Eve sitting up here, and we're interviewing them, right? So we're like Clint Eastwood, and we have an empty chair here. (laughs) And we come to Cain, and we ask Cain, Cain, tell us, what does your name mean, and what's the background of how your mom chose that name for you. And Cain would say, well, my name means gotten. Because my mom thought that with me, she had gotten the man God savior. But I showed her how wrong she was. Now, go to the next son, Abel. And we say to him, Abel, what does your name mean? And what's the background of how your mom chose that name for you? And Abel would say, my name means vanishing, like a vanishing breath because my mom was so disappointed at how my brother turned out that she gave up all hope of getting the man God savior so she names me vanishing then we go to the next son Seth and ask him Seth what does your name mean and give me the background of how your mom chose that name for you and so Seth would say my name means established My name means set. Because my mom turned her eyes away from what she thought she got but didn't get from God. And she turned her eyes onto what God was doing. And when she did that, she saw that I and my children were going to be the godly seed that God would set or establish on the earth. He got the best name. Anyway, now we come to the birth of Seth's son, Enos. And that's given to us as the line of Seth begins to blossom out in verse 26. And to Seth, to him also, there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Seth named his son Enos. Enos means mortal. Enos means frail. Enos means weak. Like in sickly. And so now you can see that from this naming of the godly seed, it really refers to how the godly seed sees themselves. How they see themselves. The worldly seed of Cain sees themselves as self-sufficient. As they're up for the task. Whatever it is, they can do it themselves. They can meet any challenge. They alone can do it. They don't need a crutch. They don't need anyone else. They're the man. But the godly seed are in the fear of God, and they see themselves like Psalm 920 says. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. They're just men. Just men. That's just a man. 
That was the message that God was sending to Adam. Adam was named by God. And God said to Adam, or God didn't say to Adam, he called his name Adam. He says, your name's Adam. It means red. It refers to the earth. It goes back to dust. And he says, and he told him in Genesis 3.19, In the sweat of thy face, thou shalt eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it was thy taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. That's encompassed in the name Adam because it refers to the redness of the earth. And so what he was really telling him, in other words, the naming of Adam, the naming of Enos was continuing along in the vein of how God named Adam. And so Seth named his son Enos along the same vein. Because what the real message was through these names was that man can only find his eternal life in God. Apart from God, he doesn't have any eternal life. He says, John 17, 3, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, be connected. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Man can only find his life purpose, his purpose in life in God. Apart from God, he doesn't have any purpose in life. As it says in Job 12, 25, they grope in the dark without light. So by naming his son Enos, or mortal or weakness, Seth wanted his son to know for all of his life, you never forget the fact you are mortal, you are frail, and you are weak, and therefore you need to run to the one who said in John 15, 15, I am the vine, and Enos, you're the branch. You are the branches, and he that abides in me, and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. Because Enos, in and of yourself, apart from God, without me, just like the line of Cain, without God, for without me, you can do, Enos, nothing. Because you're mortal, because you're frail, because you're weak. Just like when Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12.10, he said, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am Enos, when I am weak, and frail, and mortal. He says, then I'm strong. Now, why was he saying, why did Paul say, when I am weak, when I am in us, I'm strong? Why? Because that's the only way we see God. We don't see God until we know that we are in us, that we are mortal and weak. We are very good at tricking ourselves. We deceive ourselves. God said, you got a big problem, God the physician. He says, your big problem is your heart. Because he says, your heart is deceitful. Well, how deceitful is it, God, above all things? And it's wicked. Well, how wicked is it, God? Desperately wicked, he says. Desperately wicked. And so we deceive ourselves into thinking that we're strong, we're bulletproof, we're smarter than the average bear, and that's a problem. And so what do you do when you really have that disease of self-deception? You pray the prayer of David, king of Israel, in Psalm 39.4, when he said, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. That's the key, is to pray that prayer. I got the problem, Lord. Make me know mine end, how many days I have left, and how frail I am. So, if we were to interview in us and ask him the same thing, that we asked Cain and Abel and Seth, it might go like this. So tell me, Enos, what does your name mean? And what's the background of how your dad 
because his dad chose his name, has chose the name for you. And Enos would say, my name means mortal. My name means weakness and frailty. Why? Because my dad always wanted me to remember how mortal, how weak, and how frail I am. So I'd never forget, I need God. I must have God. I want to be on the group that's with God. And by Seth naming his son Enos, a practice started from that point. That practice would characterize the godly seed on earth. It would show the difference between the godly seed and the ungodly seed. You could walk into hometown buffet and you watch the people who bow their heads to thank God and you'll say, that's the practice right there. There it is, right there. And you watch all the other people just sit down, eat their food. That's the difference. There's a practice that started here. And it's called the practice of beginning to call on the name of the Lord. Now, Tom, that was an interesting phrase that you used at the end of the message there. The practice of calling on the name of the Lord. Now, I hear a lot of prayers in the secular world, you know, chaplains and government officials, and these prayers are wonderful. They speak about this generic God. I hear nothing of Jesus, though. They're very bland prayers, and they just end with amen. Nothing about Jesus. Now, what does it really mean to call upon the name of the Lord in prayer? Well, that's a very important part, the name of the Lord. It means that you call the Lord by his name. He has a name. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What is that name? That name is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lord. We're not ashamed of that name. We're not nebulous when it comes to the name of the Lord. We know, the Bible tells us specifically, that the Lord has a name, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And to make a prayer to God without using his name is to send a letter that very likely will be returned for lack of sufficient address. So it first of all means that we know that God has a name, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ, and we call on that name. Next, it means that not only do we know he has a name and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ, but we understand the meaning of his name. That's why it was said in Matthew one twenty one, and she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins, encapsulated in the meaning of the name Jesus is the concept of him saving his people from their sins. We call on his name to be saved, be saved from his sins. We say Jesus, we say, that's like saying Yeshua. That's like saying, God save us. You are the one through whom God will save us. Save us from what? From our sins. And next, it means that we believe on his name. That's what it says in John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So in other words, to believe on his name means that we say the Lord. That means we believe he is God. 
Jesus, that means we believe that he is the only one to save us from our sins. Christ, which means Messiah, we believe that he is the one that God sent to rescue us from our sins. And when we say the Lord Jesus Christ, it's very important for us in our mind to say it means he is God. It means he is God who is going to save us from our sins. It means that he is God, the Son, who was sent by the Father to save me from my sins. That's what it means to believe on his name. Hmm. Now, you also talk about a practice. So what does it mean to have a practice of calling upon the name of the Lord. Well, the practice of calling on the name of the Lord means, first of all, it speaks of how often to call on the name of the Lord. In other words, do we just call on the name of the Lord on certain high holidays, for example, Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah? No, it says in Luke 18.1 that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke a parable unto them to this end or for this purpose, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. So there is an always, the practice of calling on the name of the Lord encompasses an always oftenness to it. In Luke 21:36, he said, Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of God. So what he's talking about here is escaping snares, temptations, sin. And we call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, save me. Save me from falling into this sin. Save me from this temptation. Save me so that I can escape from the pressure and the tension and the the, the temptation that I'm under. See, that's what it means to have a practice of calling on the name of the Lord. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 through 18, Pray always in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So the practice of praying, of calling on the name of the Lord is to pray without ceasing, but to be giving thanks. It's to say, oh God, thank you for this beautiful day. Oh God, thank you for this parking spot that had just opened up for me. Oh God, thank you that I was able to find this can of spaghetti sauce here at the grocery store. It's giving thanks always without ceasing. It says in Psalm fifty-five, seventeen, evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. That's again King David teaching us how, when, how often, evening and morning and at noon. In other words, throughout the whole day. You know, a practice of praying, practice of calling on the name of the Lord. Very good. Before we eat, a practice of praying and calling on the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, I want to take this time right now to thank you for this food. You know we need food. Thank you for providing the food to us. Lord Jesus, as I go to pay my bills, I'm calling on you And I want to thank you for giving me the money to pay for these bills. Lord Jesus, you know that we need a new refrigerator. I'm asking you to provide, please, the new refrigerator. Lord Jesus, here's the new refrigerator. We thank you for this new refrigerator. See, all of that, Lord Jesus, I'm getting into my car 
right now, I know the dangers that are on the road, which can end up in me having a crash. I'm asking for a safe journey. Lord Jesus, as I leave my, leave my house today, I am asking you to protect my home, even though the doors are locked. I'm asking for you to please protect my home. Lord Jesus, here I am where I've returned from my trip. I'm thanking you that I've had a, th- a safe trip. Lord Jesus, I'm coming to my house. I'm opening my door. I thank you that this house has not been broken into. You see, all of that is a practice in everything that we do. To call on his name means to ask him. To call on his name means to thank him. And if you think of all of the areas of life where we might be at risk, where we might be vulnerable, to call on his name, to ask him for the protection against our vulnerability. And then all of the times when we pass through that period of vulnerability, to take time like the like the one out of the 10 lepers did and to turn back and to realize I have been helped by God and to give with a loud voice as he did his thanks. All of that at what it means to have the practice on calling on the name of the Lord. Thank you for joining us today. Now, do you have a Jewish friend or know of a Jewish person that needs to be reached with the gospel? Would you like to give them a gospel gift from Tom Cantor? Or would you like to have one sent directly to them? You can contact us directly by phone today and we can help you to do that. Call us today at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. We can help you to reach God's lost nation of Jewish people. Many of us know Jewish people, whether it's a doctor, lawyer, businessman, friend, neighbor, co-worker, or family member. Call us today. We'll help you to reach them. 1-800-247-3051. God needs you to reach them today with the gospel, and we'll help put a gift in your hands to give to them. We're also offering our great resource, the Tom Cantor DVD called What is a Jew by Choice versus a Jew by Birth. You can call us today and get that also at 1-800-247-3051, or you can go to friendshipwithgod.org for more information.